Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. The one TV show that Sue and I watch every week, uh, along with 10 million other viewers, is a police drama called Blue Bloods. Any Blue Bloods fans here? Yeah, all right. Okay, the story revolves around Frank Reagan. Uh, Frank is played by Tom Selleck. He is the commissioner, the police commissioner of New York City. All three of his grown kids are also in law enforcement. His son, Danny, is an NYPD detective and in real life happens to live in St. Charles. Uh, His daughter, Erin, is an assistant DA, and his uh, youngest son, Jamie, is just a a regular cop. And every week, the story revolves around these main characters. But there's one scene that is common to every episode. In every episode of Blue Bloods, you'll, you'll see this scene. The Irish Catholic Reagan family goes to church every Sunday. And then after church, they gather for a family dinner around the big dining room table. And the dinner always begins with prayer. I love to see prayer. Where do you see prayer on TV these days, right? Now, it's, it's not that this is a quaint uh, Norman Rockwell-esque sort of family because as soon as the prayer is over and they begin to pass the food around the table, they get into a discussion, a robust discussion about some contemporary event, and it's always a heated argument, okay? They, you know, they throw in their own opinions. You got different perspectives, different personalities, different generations represented around the table, four generations sitting at this table. So, so uh, in a recent episode that I watched, uh, Jamie, the youngest son, is engaged and he brings his fiance Eddie, to the family dinner for her first exposure to the family in this setting. And afterwards, she tells him how impressed she is with his family, that they can argue so heatedly. They, they can express these different opinions and yet be such a loving, close-knit family where the members are deeply committed to each other. Now, I want you to keep that picture in your mind. Okay, welcome to week one of a five-part series called Different Together. Different Together, learning from one another's strengths. Uh, Pastor Clayton and I put together this series because we realized that we are currently living in a very angry and divisive culture. The truth of the matter is that mood has kind of seeped into the church as well. There's a long list of things that Christ followers, even at Christ Community Church, argue vehemently about. Okay, who should be the next president? You know, what should be done about about racial unrest? Why should I have to wear a mask in public? I mean, the list goes on and on. I've got a friend, Ed Stetzer, who's written a best-selling book, Christians in the Age of Outrage. That's the title, and it pretty, pretty much sums up the mood, doesn't it? We're living in the age of outrage. Well, God's word calls Christ followers to behave differently, to behave a little little more like TV's Reagan family. Okay, so go ahead and hold different perspectives on issues, even vigorously debate them. But at the end of the day, let's never forget, we're family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And as Christ followers, we got to say no to the cancel culture. You know about that. You know, cancel culture, where if you disagree with me, then I call you an idiot and I dismiss you with disgust. Well, nothing to do with you. No. Christ followers say no to the cancel culture. And for the next five weeks, Pastor Clayton and I and, and my wife Sue, we're going to be preaching about what it means to be different together. Different together across generations, that's today, across politics, next weekend, across personality types, across race, and across economics. You know, how can we address our differences lovingly? How can we address our differences civilly? How can we address our differences in a way that demonstrates a respect for others' viewpoint? that demonstrates an honor to our common Savior and King, Jesus Christ. So today we're kicking off the series with a topic different together across generations. And Pastor Clayton and I decided we would co-preach this sermon. Okay, so he's going to begin. He's the, the young buck who's going to address the younger generations. So teens and 20-somethings, 30-somethings. And he's going to speak to you from God's Word about how to treat the older generation. And then I, the older dude, I get to address those of you, the, younger gener the older generation, how to treat the younger generation. So let's give it up for Pastor Clayton. He gets first at bats. Welcome him. All right. Yeah, they're, they're switching podiums. Just uh, abundance of caution here so we don't, we don't share a, a space here. Um, I am going to address the younger crowd mostly today, but I want to start off with a question for those of you who are on the older end of the spectrum. If you're in uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, here's my question for you. Have you ever wondered why the music that teenagers listen to today is such garbage? I mean, the music you listened to when you were young, it was so much better. Like, you listen to stuff today and you're like, they just don't make music like they used to. And there are times when you hear a song from when you were younger and you're like, man, this is so good. It still sounds amazing, doesn't it? <laughs> this, this, this guy right here. Teenagers, have you ever wondered why the music your parents love is just so terrible? Like you, you hear it and they're singing along like it's the best thing ever, but it's cringeworthy. It's so, so bad. Believe it or not, there's actually a biological reason why this happens. So it turns out in the way our brains develop, the music that we listen to when we're in our teens and early 20s gets like hardwired, coded into our neurons for the rest of our life. We think that sounds like normal music. Now, after about the age of 25, you can still learn to like new kinds of music, but the style you listened to when you were young, and, and the, the, especially the artists and the songs you loved at that time, will always come back to you as, this is the best music in my life. And that means, depending on how old you are, you will always think that the Black Eyed Peas, or Bon Jovi, or James Taylor, I'm looking at you, Jim, is always the greatest mu music that ever happened. Now, unfortunately for me, when I was a teenager, that was at the, pop the height of the popularity of ska music. You know what that is? It means that for the rest of my life, I will think that a reggae punk band with a horn section counts as good music. Now, teenagers, you can scoff at this all you like, but one day you will be a 50-year-old driving around singing, you got that yummy, yummy, yummy. 
People from different generations, we argue about whose music is the best. But it turns out the differences between the generations goes deeper than that. Uh, older and younger adults, we approach really important things in different ways. Things like work and family life and social issues and politics and church. And these differences can create tension, which can lead to conflict and sometimes even division. Maybe you've experienced that in your family, in your workplace, maybe even here at Christ Community. How can we build bridges across these generational divides? I'll tell you this, we can't just wait for people on the other side to change first. We need to make the first move to build bridges in these relationships because that's what Jesus did for us. Think about it. When we were not seeking God, when we were running from him, in fact, fighting against him, he made the first move. He initiated the relationship. That's the whole thing about Jesus. He makes the first move. And now he calls us to do the same thing in our relationships. And so younger adults, here's the question for today, for us. What would it look like for us to make the first move to build bridges to the older adults in our life? Let's turn to God's word to see what that might look like. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4. If you go right smack in the middle of the Bible, you'll probably find the book of Psalms. And if you turn just a little bit to the right, you'll get to Proverbs. Now, Proverbs is a book about how to live well. That's the main theme, how to actually live a good life. And it offers advice to people of all different ages, but it's framed as a father speaking to his sons on the verge of adulthood. As they enter into their adult responsibilities, he's saying, let me tell you how to be wise in how you live. It's framed as an older adult speaking to a younger adult. And in chapter four, we get a great picture of what it looks like for younger adults to build bridges to the older adults in their life. So let's start reading in verse one. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I will give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me and he said to me, take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Let's thank God for speaking to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, younger adults, let me highlight three ways that we can build bridges to the older adults in our lives. First is this. Start out listening. Start out listening listening. There is a bias in American culture, at least over the last hundred years or so, a bias towards youth, at least in certain areas of our culture. Actors tend to be young or at least look young. Musicians tend to be on the younger side. Media technology is targeted at young people. And some of this is simply because our culture idolizes the freedom and the health and the vitality of youth. But mostly it's because advertisers know that if they hook young people early, they make more money in the long run. And so that's what they do. So every day we get this message, subtly and not so subtly, that young people are more in sync with what's important and relevant for our world today. And we get the flip side message that older people, the older you get, the, the more out of touch you are with what really counts. Out of touch with pop culture, or struggle with technology behind the times. And that goes beyond just the superficial aspects of fashion and phones and things like this. Uh, lots of younger adults 
look at older adults in key areas of life and say, we feel like they've fallen behind. We, we parent differently. We approach our careers with a different attitude. We see social issues differently. And, and the problem isn't the fact that we do things differently. The problem is that when we do things differently, we automatically assume that because we're younger and newer, we're right. And that there's nothing we need to hear about these things from older generations. But I want you to pay attention to a repeating theme and repeating words here in this chapter that pushes back against this attitude. Again and again, it says things like in verse 1, listen, pay attention. Verse 5 says, do not forget my words. Uh, verse 10 that we didn't read earlier, it says, listen, my son, accept what I say. Verse 20 says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. What posture does the Bible want us to take as younger generation toward an older generation? Listening, listening, not tuning out, not politely tolerating, not rolling our eyes behind their back, but listening. Why is that? It's because listening in one sense is a way of carrying out the golden rule. Remember what Jesus said? To do to others what you would want them to do to you. So I know a lot of young people who look at like the boomers in their life and they say, you know, you're, right now you've got uh, some authority, some power, you've got some uh, influence here. And they say, but one day I'm going to be in your spot. And one day when I'm in your role at you know, either your parents or your boss or leaders in church and you say, you know what, when I'm in that role, we're going to do things differently. People are going to hear my good ideas and my opinions and they're going to take that seriously and things are going to change. Now imagine fast forward 20, 30, 40 years and you are in that role. What are you going to hope that the younger people in your life at that point do with you? I know you're going to hope that they hear your ideas and take them seriously. They listen and not just assume that they already know what should happen. Listening is simply a way of showing respect to others that you would want them to show to you. Now, of course, listening doesn't always mean that you have to do or agree with everything an older adult says. We're going to see this throughout the series in all sorts of different uh, areas of difference one of the mistakes that we often make is we feel like if someone disagrees with us that they're judging us or rejecting us. It's actually a really common experience for parents of adult children. When your adult children start making different decisions than you did or different, things, uh, different decisions than you advise, you, you feel like, wait a minute, are they rejecting me? Are they judging the way I raised them? Are they turning away from the values that I thought were so important? And this is uh, common also in workplaces where uh, people who have been around a while, they see younger people doing things different. They say, hey, are you judging me for the way we did things? But it's really important to recognize disagreement is not the same thing as disrespect. You can listen to someone, you can take them seriously, you can value their input and still ultimately come to a different decision, make a different choice. But younger adults, this is important. Just because we choose to do things differently sometimes doesn't mean that older adults have nothing that we need to hear. The opposite, in fact. We need to be humble enough to say that we, we don't know what we don't know sometimes. We need to start off with a listen, listening posture. That should be the default. But it actually goes further than that. We also need to seek out wisdom. Seek out wisdom. Uh, look again at Proverbs chapter 4. There are some words that come up again and again and again. Wisdom and understanding says, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forsake wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding again and again. How do you actually get wisdom? There are really only two ways. Either you live life and learn from it, or someone else lives life and you learn from them. That means if you want to have wisdom when you're young, you need to seek out someone who is older than you. And here is the key. You've got to 
actively seek it out. I hear a a lot of people uh, talk about how they would love a mentor in their life, young people. And they say, you know, I I would love to have someone speak into my life. Uh, But here's what I found. It's actually more realistic not to think of having just uh, one mentor, but to have a lot of kind of mini mentors. Uh, you, and you see someone who is really good at something, an older adult in your life, and maybe they're really good at uh, their, their finances, good at handling money, or they're uh, you know, good, a good parent, or they're uh, handy around the house, or they uh, know how to uh, pray well, or they've got a great marriage, or something that you see that you say, I really love to get good at that. And instead of you know, getting down on one knee and saying, will you mentor me, which sounds like a huge commitment, you just say, hey, you know, I, I, I'd love to get coffee with you. I, I see that you're really good in this area. I'd just love to pick your brain about it. And as you uh, get to know that person and you talk with them, you, you say, you know, this is really helpful. I'm trying to get better in this area. You, would you mind if I called you up, you know, when I'm thinking about this, trying to work through things? I, I'd love to, you know, get your advice in the future. They will feel so honored by that. And, and you, you will have uh, developed a network over time of this sort of team of consultants speaking into different areas of your life. And this is especially important uh, in areas with really significant relationships, especially with parents. Uh, I, I want to give you kind of a, a, a life hack. Uh, you want to know the way to get your parents to stop, stop offering obnoxious advice that you didn't ask for? Start asking for their advice first. It actually works really well. Think about how this works. The normal scenario is this. Uh, your parents see something in your life that they think ought to be different, so they tell you about it. Now, that may be coming from a place of love and support, but to you, it sounds like criticism, right? So how do you react? You get defensive. And by the time the conversation is over, you feel judged, they feel dishonored, and it's a mess, right? But what if you reverse the direction? I mean, all of us, we all have areas where we look at our life and we say, yeah, I feel in over my head. I don't know what I'm doing in this area. I would love to get some help. So instead of waiting for your parents to say, hey, why don't you do this or that? Why don't you say, hey, mom, dad, I... I don't know what to do in this area. This is, this is something that I, I'm having a hard time with. What would you do if you were me? You know what happens in that scenario? You feel supported by your family and they feel honored that you would ask. It's so important for us, not just to wait to get input. This, this, this can be true in supervisor relationships at work with your boss. Don't just wait for them to tell you about your performance. Ask them about it. Seek out wisdom. Here's the third and most important thing younger adults need to do. We need to sort out priorities. Sort out priorities. This is perhaps the greatest gift that an older adult can give to a younger adult. Perspective. Perspective. When you are young, there are all sorts of things that look really, really important, but when you get older, you realize they never really were. You already know this, no matter what age you are, okay? So think about this. Imagine yourself 10 years ago, whatever age you were, What did you think was important at that point? When I was seven years old, I thought girls were icky and I could never imagine giving up my dinosaurs. When I was 17, I thought that my friend drama and my ACT scores would make or break my life. When I was 27, I thought I had all the answers. If people would just listen to me, I would fix all of their problems. But the older you get, you know what you realize? Your younger self was an idiot. (laughs) And the reason you realize that is because the older you get, the more you have perspective on what really mattered at that time. And the difference between a wise person and a fool is how soon you get that perspective. Let me read to you a section of, uh, at the end of Proverbs chapter four, starting in verse 25, it says this. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. 
Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Wisdom is sorting out priorities. It's fixing your eyes on the things that really matter and not getting distracted by the lesser things. And in order to do that, we need examples of people who have learned how to really live well and prioritize what really matters. We need to have examples of people who are generous and hospitable, who serve others. We need to know people who have hope in the midst of suffering. They've learned how to do that. We need to identify the people who have joy and contentment and peace and courage and compassion in their life and find out how do they get that way. We need especially to find the people who over the course of their life have fallen more and more in love with Jesus and go to school on how they did that. People who study the spiritual lives of teenagers and 20-somethings, they say that the very best predictor of whether or not someone's going to have a vibrant faith into adulthood is how many adults they had friendships with within their church who are not their parents. They, they say that ideally every young person would have five older adults in their life who ha- have a significant relationship with, with them within their church. Uh, that's because it offers the support that people need, but more than that, it offers examples, models of different ways to live faithfully following Jesus. I think that rule of having five adults speaking into your life is not just for teenagers and 20-somethings. I think this is something that should be true of adults of all ages. We need people to be examples and models for us. Do you know who your five people would be? Who are the adults who are older than you that you go to to seek out wisdom and sort out your priorities? You desperately need those people. Now we're going to go back to one of my five people. Pastor Jim. All right, and you older adults are now thinking, I hope those younger adults were listening. So it's our time to listen. Okay, what, what contributions would God want us to make to the lives of people in their teens, their 20s, their 30s? Whether we engage these younger adults at Christ Community Church or in our families, at work, in our neighborhoods, on our sports teams, I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 4, five directives for, God, for how God wants older adults to treat younger adults. And older adults, I want you to write these down because you'll forget them otherwise. Just saying, all right? Here's number one. Extend friendship. How do we treat younger adults? Number one, extend friendship. As you're looking for 1 Timothy 4 in your Bibles, let me give you a little of the context of the relationship between the older dude, the, uh, the older dude, the Apostle Paul who wrote 1 Timothy 4, and the younger dude, Timothy, who received the letter and read it. Okay, C is for context in comma, C-O-M-M-A, our five-step Bible study uh, method that we teach at Christ Community. So here's the historical background. Paul met Timothy when he was traveling through Timothy's hometown of Lystra, which is in modern-day Turkey. And he was uh, immediately impressed with this young man. Timothy was probably a teenager at the time. His mom was a Christ follower from a Jewish background. His dad was Greek and not a believer. Okay, and Paul asked if he could take Timothy along on his missionary, his traveling missionary team, and his mom and dad must have given him the okay. And for the next several years, 
Paul and Timothy uh, traveled together. They preached the good news about Christ together. They got thrown into prison together. They even co-wrote six New Testament epistles. So the first point I want to make here from the context is that Paul and Timothy shared a great friendship. And God wants older adults to extend friendship to younger adults, especially in the church. Uh, One of the books that I I read in preparation for this sermon is called Growing Young. Growing Young. And the authors of the book did a lot of research among 40 churches around the country that they identified as being uh, highly attractive to younger adults, doing a good job of bringing in younger adults. And so they went and they interviewed over 500 people at these churches. They compiled over 10,000 pages of notes. And they were asking the question of younger adults, what is it that attracted you to the church that you're at? Number one answer was not a really cool pastor, although some churches have those. It wasn't a rock and worship band. The number one factor was relational warmth. Relational warmth. So how can older adults make that happen at Christ Community Church or at the place where you work or in your neighborhood? You know, well, it begins by uh, going out of our way to greet and welcome younger adults, to learn their names, to strike up conversations, to ask good questions. Now, here's an interesting statistic that comes out of that book I just just mentioned. According to a survey, 20% of younger adults say that they experience a great deal of anxiety about their lives. They worry a lot. But what's interesting is that only 8% of the parents of these younger adults say that their kids worry a lot. So why the discrepancy? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? The younger adults are not talking about these things, these struggles that they're experiencing with mom and dad. We get that, no surprise. But who are they talking about their life struggles with? Well, at best, probably other younger adults who are equally confused and anxious about life, and at worst, with nobody. So what if older adults took an interest in them? What if older adults in the church, here's an application for you, what if we volunteered in student ministries? You know, like our middle school refuge ministry or our high school mosaic ministry, or what if we signed up to be a community group leader in a community group of 20-somethings or college students? What if we listened? What if we engaged in conversation? Older adults, listen, friendships with younger adults get built. Conversations happen as we volunteer in student ministries or for that matter at Christ Community when you serve in any ministry of our church alongside younger adults who are serving in that same ministry. Now the same goes, of course, for the place where you work in your neighborhood and whatever. Extend friendship. Number two, entrust with leadership. Now, take a look at 1 Timothy 4 with me. I'm going to give you a little more context here before we read a couple, more, a couple of verses. Uh, after Paul and Timothy had been friends for a number of years and they had been traveling together, uh, Paul decided to launch a church in the huge city of Ephesus. 
uh, with new believers, and he hired Timothy to be that church's first senior pastor. Now, Timbo was only in his mid-30s, if not younger at the time. Wow. I mean, that's a lot of responsibility for a whippersnapper. Does anybody use a whippersnapper anymore? Yeah, probably not. So Timothy was, he was a little intimidated by this new leadership role. So Paul wrote the first epistle, 1 Timothy, to encourage his young friend to boldly teach God's word, even to older adults. So pick it up at verse 11 with me. Paul writes to Timothy, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Stop right there. Command, command and teach. In other words, kick butt when necessary. I mean, lead with confidence, even people older than yourself, Timbo. So younger adults can lead if we just give them an opportunity. You know, the Bible is filled with illustrations of this. You've got Joseph in the Old Testament named second in command over Egypt, second to the Pharaoh at age 30. You got young and beautiful Esther who marries the king of Persia and immediately sets to change government policy because the government is set to wipe out her fellow Jews, annihilate them, and Esther stands in the gap. You got young and savvy Daniel who gets promoted up through uh, government positions in ancient Babylon, the superpower of the day. You got Jesus choosing 12 disciples, all of whom are probably in their teens or 20s at the time. Around Christ Community Church, we have younger adults in all sorts of leadership roles. I mean, even when you come for weekend services, you see uh, younger adults often on our stage. You see them taking care of our kids and teaching them. You, all sorts of leadership roles. We even have uh, some 30-something elders at, at our church. Now, it sounds a little bit like an oxymoron, younger adult elders, but the word elder doesn't refer to a person's age. It refers to a person's maturity, and these 30-something young leaders are spiritually and relationally and emotionally mature. So older adults, in what areas of our church, in your family, work, extracurricular activities, could you be entrusting younger adults with more leadership? I mean, it starts in the home. If you've got a 16-year-old for whom you're still doing everything, it's time to pass on some leadership responsibility. If you're a supervisor at work, and you've got some young buck, bucks, you've got some next generation folks on, on your team, it's time to give them some leadership opportunity. Number three, affirm positive qualities. Okay, back to 1 Timothy 4, pick it up at verse 12. Now this is older adult Paul speaking to younger adult Timothy. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example Set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Isn't it interesting that, that Paul was confident that Timothy could be an example to older adults in matters of attitude and behavior and character? You know, pa Paul obviously saw a lot of positive qualities in, in Timothy. Now, is that how older adults typically view younger adults? 
Or do we usually view younger adults as people in need of correction, need of maturity, need of straightening out, need of fixing? You know, older adults, do we have a tendency to catch the younger adults in our lives, our kids, our coworkers, the players on our team, to catch them doing something wrong? Or do we make it our aim to catch them doing something right? You know, are we quicker to notice their bad points or their good points? Are they more likely to hear from us, now this is where you screwed up, or way to go? And can we picture ourselves actually learning something from these younger adults that will benefit our own character and behavior? Let let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, My three grown kids are now uh, experiencing parenthood. Okay, and, and what I love to watch is the way they parent in some ways so much better than I did. You know, specifically, one, one example. Uh, they have a tendency to take their uh, little one who is causing trouble, misbehaving, aside in order to hear, you know, what's behind their grumpiness? You know, what's behind the sibling's squabble? Now, now when, I, when I was a parent raising them, my response would be, if that attitude doesn't change, you could leave the table and go to your room. See, I was law and order, and I'm watching my kids be all about grace and understanding, and I say, I love it. Being such great examples to me. Do do we see younger adults as potential role models for us in the way that they care about friendships, in the way that they care about social justice, in the way they care about more family and less workaholism. Sometimes we criticize the very things we should be affirming in them. So let's work harder at catching them doing something right. Wow, that's great. Number four, direct into Scripture. Direct them into Scripture. We're up to verse 13 of 1 Timothy 4. Until I come... Paul writes to Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, Scripture, to preaching and teaching, in other words, the Bible. Drop down to verse 16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Uh, Doctrine refers to those truths we get out of the Bible, biblical truths. Persevere in these doctrines because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We we now live in what some are calling a post truth culture, post-truth. In other words, we now define right and wrong on the basis of, you know, how I feel or what my experiences are, instead of an outside standard that we appeal to. 74% of millennials, according to a recent survey, agree with this statement. Whatever is right for your life or works for you is the only truth you can know. Really? Jesus says in John 17, he's praying for us, his followers, and he says to the heavenly Father in verse 17 of John 17, he says, Father, your word is truth. Protect them by your word. Your word is truth. See, it's God's word that protects us. It's God's word that safeguards us. So if younger adults are not being directed into the Bible, And they're missing out on the truth they need for knowing God, the truth they need for building better relationships, the truth they need for making wise decisions, for avoiding moral pitfalls, for finding real purpose in life. 
I mean, this is why the, the mega goal, the biggie goal for Christ Community Church this ministry season is Bible every day. We just did a series on this, right? Bible every day. I want you to say it with me. Here we go. Bible every day. Now, the people online, they didn't all say it. Some of them are sitting at home on their love seat, and they didn't say it. So we got to say it one more time. Here we go. Bible every day. Bible. And you know what they found from surveys is the adult group least likely to open the book are millennials, younger adults. And so older adults, what's our responsibility? It's first of all to model Bible every day, to live it ourselves. And, and then it's to engage in Bible conversations, the young adults in our lives. It's to raise the question whenever we're talking about an issue of the day, well, what does the Bible say about that? Let's dig in. Let's find that out together. Number five. Recognize personal gifts. One last look at 1 Timothy 4. Pick it up at verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, Do not neglect your gift, your gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Okay, when Timothy became the pastor of the church in Ephesus, the elders of that church laid their hands on him. They, they prayed over him and called out spiritual gifts. They recognized the gifts that God had given Timothy, specifically the gifts of teaching and leadership. Now, the Bible also mentions in other passages a wide variety of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to Christ followers. There are gifts of administration, there are gifts of mercy, showing compassion toward others, gifts of service and working behind the scenes, gifts of music and craftsmanship, and on and on the list goes. And one of the ways we discover our spiritual gift or gifts is by having others point them out to us. By having someone say, you know, you're really good at this, or this, or this. And this is especially effective, friends, when older adults do this with younger adults. Okay, I surrendered my life to Christ as a freshman in college. And I figured, you know, I probably ought to find a church to go to. And so I found the church that was nearest campus, I could walk to it, and I got really involved. And one day, Don, a businessman in the church, said, hey, you want to do breakfast together? Now, Don would eventually become the COO of Walmart stores. In fact, he oversaw Walmart's growth from a $1 billion a year company to $200 billion a year company. So he was an important guy and said, let's meet. We went to Golden Bear, a restaurant that no longer exists. And I'll never forget over our bacon and eggs, Don looking at me and saying, you know, Jim, you are really good at this and this and this. Don said that to me. Mr. Walmart said that to me. I'll never forget it. You know, younger adults are at that stage in life when they're trying to figure out, well, you know, who, I, who am I? You know, and we have an opportunity to speak into that. I asked Randy Isola recently, our next-gen pastor, who oversees all our kids and student ministries, I, I, I said, tell me about 
some younger adults whose gifts were recognizing, and he gave me a whole list. You know, that included uh, Rachel, a sophomore at Batavia High School, who's got a musical ability. She sings in musicals at school, but she uses her gift to sing on our student worship team. You know, he told me about Noah. Noah's a seventh grader who's got a gift for gab. The guy's a great communicator, even up front, and so he helps us video announcements that we use on the weekend. Randy told me about a group of young women, Audrey, Haley, Tori, and Jillian, down at our Aurora campus who are gifted at working with kids, and you could see it every weekend as they care for children in kids' world. He told me about a guitarist out at our DeKalb campus, a young adult gifted at guitar who plays in the weekend worship band. I mean, these are younger adults whose gifts are being recognized at our church. Most teenagers and 20-somethings and even young adults into their 30s in our families and workplaces and elsewhere could benefit from an older adult saying, you know, you've really got a gift for such and such. Again, young adulthood is that time when we're trying to figure out, who am I? You know, what am I good at? How has God gifted me? Where should I be utilizing the talents that that I have? Let's be different together across generations. Younger and older adults have so much to learn from each other. Let's pray. We're going to pray, and then we're going to take communion together. Uh, God, I just want to ask that the message of today, the double whammy message of uh, Clayton speaking to younger adults, me to older adults, that we would take away something for our, li- for, for our lives that would help us, God, build bridges into the lives of others, God. Make community happen here in our church, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, because we're reaching across divides. God, as we... Now, now take the, uh, the cup, the bread and the cup in hand. Remember what Christ did for us on the cross. I pray that this would be a, a meaning, meaningful renewal of our faith. Come and fill us afresh. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.